crazy one broke into the stadium And I wrote your number on the 50-yard line You were always a perfect one and a valedictorian So under your number I wrote call for a good time I only wanted to get your attention But you overlooked me somehow Besides, you had too many boyfriends to mention And I played my guitar too loud How do you like me now? How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way You still think I'm crazy Standing here today I couldn't make you love me But I always dreamed about Living in your radio How do you like me now? Yes, of course, we begin the show today with the late Toby Keith. And say what you want about your fondness or lack thereof for country music or the man's politics. 62 years of age is far too young from where I'm sitting. Stomach cancer claiming the singer of that song right there. How do you like me now? It spent five weeks at number one on the Billboard U.S. Hot Country Songs chart uh, way back in March of 2000, so just about 24 years ago. It was also Toby Keith's first major crossover hit, getting as high as number 31 on the Billboard Hot 100. How Do You Like Me Now was the fourth number one hit of Toby Keith's career and was nominated for Single of the Year. Song of the Year. If you didn't know, Toby Keith actually began work as a young man in the oil fields of Oklahoma. Then he played some semi-pro football before launching his career as a singer. He twice won the Academy of Country Music's Entertainer of the Year Award. And it was, again, stomach cancer, age just 62, that claimed Toby Keith, his family says he passed away peacefully yesterday. And I suppose when we're going to go, isn't that kind of the way we would want to go? If you got your choice, wouldn't that be it? I'm reflecting on Carl Weathers, whom we lost last week, Apollo from the Rocky franchise, and a bunch of other things. More recently, I guess, in The Mandalorian. I don't watch that show, but we lost Carl Weathers last week as well. Family says he passed away in his sleep. Nonetheless, Toby Keith we focus on today at the far too young age of 62. And we start the show with, how do you like me now? It is eight minutes after nine on this Tuesday morning, the 6th of February. We have the sun today that, for whatever reason, didn't make it here yesterday. Beautiful morning as I look out the windows. And I can say that even in spite of that loss by the Leafs last night. I got a chance to watch the last two periods for the most part. Did you see Austin Matthews hit the post, the crossbar, and the post all on the same shot? Goodness gracious me. And the Leafs lose the game. Did I hear Simon Bennett correctly at 8.45 saying now just two wins in their past eight on home ice? Well, do you think that's maybe because... People go to the arena in Toronto, but they're not actually fans. Do you think that might be something to do with it? It's so quiet in there 
knuckleheads that pay all that money for those hockey games. Anyway, in spite of it, in spite of the Leafs' loss last night, I'm in a good mood today. Maybe it's because, and you can see the proof, it's verified on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. I was completing my 50 daily push-ups. That was the requirement yesterday in the push-up challenge for the Canadian Mental Health Association. We're doing 2,000 push-ups, and by we, I mean a group of us here at the radio station. Uh, there are six of us in total, including Josh Gorey, our morning reporter, Christine Clark, our morning news anchor. We're all part of the team. It's called On Air Flare, doing 2,000 push-ups between the 1st of February and the 23rd of February. And that 2,000 push-ups marks the 20% of Canadians who will experience a mental illness this year. So we're doing our best to help out. You can see me in full color, like it or not, doing my push-ups during the Leafs game last night, trying to uh, implement a little mindfulness into my day. Let's quickly go to the phones. Doug, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Hello, Douglas. So, yeah, you, uh, I'm sure you recall that my son uh, does a tribute to Toby Keith. You uh, remember, I know, I'm, you were at one of the shows that we did, so I know, I know you should remember that. I do remember the song, that. The song Toby Keith uh, wrote called Honky Tonk You was actually uh, written about his early days uh, with the uh, uh, semi pro. To my pain, <laughs> there's uh, quite a few good lines in it, uh, but where he started working and, and whatnot. But uh, um, I got a kick out of hearing this morning that Ed Soto Cup was, was so stupid it was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and beer for my horses, and we could go on and on with uh, yeah. the songs that, that yeah. I like to sing with my son as a duet. You know, the, the one thing though that, uh, uh, that, that sticks in my mind the most. And it, it is a shame, uh, not only just uh, the number of uh, times, over 250 shows he performed for the, for the, the troops in, uh, in, the, in the Mideast. Um, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was also somebody who cared very deeply about the people who worked for him. Uh, I guess their entourage, uh, buses, transport was on the way to the show, and one of the buses caught fire. And Toby uh, sent everyone else on, and he stayed with the bus to stay with his people until they were looked after. Um, that tells you something about the character of the individual, not just the, uh, the fact that he was a star. It yeah. sure does, Doug. And I'm, I'm sorry, your phone is uh, kind of waving in and out on me there, but uh, I, I think it's a, a great anecdote to be able to share about uh, a guy who he cared deeply about his country, too, uh, the troops. And yes, the people that work for him. Toby Keith, gone at the age of 62. And really, when you think on it, just one of the big stories this morning. Let us get to your Farwell Show 5 for this Tuesday morning. Five things you might want to keep in mind for the day, including number one, King Charles, who is now being treated for cancer. British Prime Minister... 
Rishi Sunak was asked about it on BBC Radio 5 just this morning. Well, obviously, like everyone else, you're shocked and sad and just all our thoughts are with him and his family. And, you know, thankfully, this has been caught early and now everyone will be wishing him uh, that he gets, well, he gets the treatment that, that he needs and makes a full recovery. I think that's what we're all hoping and praying for. And I'm, of course, in, in regular contact uh, with him and will continue to, to communicate with him as, as normal. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 today, Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston is promising that the province will dig out after more than a meter of snow fell in Cape Breton. We got wallops uh, pretty good for sure. I mean, uh, across really northern Nova Scotia, Pictou County, Anaganish County, through Guysboro, and, and certainly yeah, in, into, into parts of Cape Breton as well. Just a lot of snow, I think uh, up to 100 centimeters in, in some areas. It's hard to get a real accurate uh, measurement with the drifting and the blowing and stuff. But close to the coast, it's kind of a wetter, wetter snow, as you can imagine. Really heavy, heavy wet, and then a little bit inland, it's drier. So that kind of blew around a lot and drifted and, and visibility issues. Premier Houston is uh, adding this winter storm to a growing list of weather-related disasters in Nova Scotia, beginning with post-tropical storm Fiona which made landfall in 2022. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, a 66-year-old man is in hospital with life-threatening injuries after a collision late last night between a cyclist and the driver of a vehicle on Victoria Street in Kitchener. Number four, the woman at the centre of a sex assault case involving members of Canada's 2018 junior men's hockey team received an apology from London police yesterday. Chief Tai Trung says he's sorry it's taken so long for the case to reach this point. We'll talk more about that just after the 9.30 news today, about 20 minutes from now. And number five on your Farwell Show, five this morning, an Ontario court is set to hear a constitutional challenge to a panhandling law that advocates say infringes the rights of some of our most vulnerable neighbours. The law prohibits soliciting in an aggressive manner and to a captive audience, including to people waiting to use an ATM or public transit. Advocates say the Safe Streets Act infringes on freedom of expression and the right to not be subjected to cruel and unusual punishment. Fines for violating the act start at $500 for a first offense, up to $1,000 and jail time for future offenses. It is 9.15. I mentioned a moment ago that you can, if you so desire, see me pushing away for the push-up challenge in a video posted to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. If you visit there this morning, you'll also see the photographic evidence of a little science experiment we're carrying out in this really hot studio today. I'll explain that coming up. This is The Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I got a call during the show yesterday from Greg, who, through the kindness of his heart, was curious how the temperature has been in the studio. Listen, I'm doing, I've made a promise to myself, I won't go on about it a whole heck of a lot. 
if you ever are watching on Rogers TV Cable 20 and you see that I have stripped down to basically my undergarments, you'll understand why. It's been an ongoing issue here for a, a really long time, longer than I can quite frankly understand. I mean, I've it's been identified. We've had people on ladders and with computers running around trying to figure things out, whatever. That's neither here nor there. But sometimes it does get to the point of being so unbearable that I do complain about it. Greg phoned yesterday, inquired, and I said to him, yeah, it's pretty hot. It was getting on 78 or 79 degrees Fahrenheit, according to the thermostat. And, and Greg wondered, who is responsible? And I, I didn't know. Like he said, is it the landlord's issue? Is it the individual you know, station or office's issue? I thought it was uh, the landlord. And I've uh, being told that's not the case. And I wasn't trying to throw anybody under a bus or make them feel bad. I'm just I, I'm just the guy sitting in here in, in what basically amounts to a sauna most days. But I just want to be clear about that. It is not a, a landlord issue. It is a an office slash radio station issue that the radio station is working its darndest to get fixed. And just to reiterate the beautiful space that we get to work in here at the boardwalk in Kitchener. We absolutely love our space, but I want to make, I want to be clear about that. When Greg asked, I really didn't know. I said, I assume it was the landlord, but no, each individual office and office building within here uh, runs its own HVAC. So it's been, it's been really tough in terms of how hot it gets some days, but I thought, you know what we can do with this? We can put it to good use. And on now I'll get to this science experiment that I mentioned Uh, just before the break. And you can check out the photographic evidence for yourself on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell show. Because it was actually my beloved that came across this video on the weekend that talked about a particular store brand of ice cream sandwich that you can get at Walmart. And for whatever reason, according to this TikTok video or this reel, whatever it was, she had seen on her phone, this ice cream sandwich will not melt. Like you can leave it out of the freezer for more than 12 hours and the thing will not melt. I said, this can't be. Like this really can't be. So I did a little Google search on my phone. I came up with a, another video. The, the theory in the first video was that if it's not melting, is it really an ice cream sandwich? The theory in the second video talked about some of the ingredients, primarily guar gum, that keeps the ice cream, if you will, intact. And Walmart itself said it's really the the quality of the cream that we use in these sandwiches that helps the sandwich remain intact. So I thought, let's take this really hot studio and put it to good use today. Now, Devin Robertson is our guy on the other side of the glass Devin, how well can you see from your side this ice cream sandwich on a plate that I have in the studio with me? Crystal clear. Okay. How does it look to you? How would you describe this ice cream sandwich right now? I'm going to go with freshly opened. Freshly? You know what? And in fact, here's the wrapper that I took it out of. And Right? I I set this down in here at about 6.15 this morning. I'm I'm tilting the plate and none of the no. ice cream is running. No liquid, nothing. Looks like it's freshly unwrapped. It is now over three hours since being unwrapped. I'm going to leave this here. I mean, at this point, 
I'm thinking the internet was actually right. This sucker will not melt. That's alarming. Isn't it? Yeah, I don't... (laughs) Like, I'm not going to touch it. I don't want to taint it in any way, but I'm holding up the plate for you to see, and... It's just sitting there like it was just open. Yeah, looks looks fresh. I bought these yesterday. I took this out of the wrapper this morning and set it on the desk. Now, the temperature tends to go up during the day. So let's see if the ice cream sandwich will melt. We're going to monitor this for the day, okay? I can't wait till the police come in between 11 and 12 and wonder what in H-E double hockey sticks is happening around here. But uh, play along at home, kids. The store brand of Walmart ice cream sandwiches will not melt, so the internet says. We've gone more than three hours now, and no indication that this particular ice cream sandwich is going to melt. What will it look like by 1 o'clock? We'll find out then. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I think I neglected to mention, by the way, that I ate one of these quote-unquote ice cream sandwiches last evening. For research purposes only, all right? I'm still here to talk about it. Is it really ice cream? (laughs) I have no idea. But it's been three hours and 15 minutes, and it so far has not even shown indication of melting, dripping, oozing, or anything. Quickly to the phones. Paul, I'm tight for time, but go ahead. And that's what I was going to ask. If it's not melting in heat, what's it doing to the insides of your body? (laughs) I know, I know, I don't know, but I know what you're thinking, and I, whatever, I here I am. (laughs) Okay, I was just wondering, you know, our healthcare system's in trouble, and you're eating ice cream. Oh, thanks. Put the why don't you put that on my head now too, Paul? Okay. See ya. See ya. Uh, We call it a sick care system. When I do stupid things, it takes care of me. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News five seventy. Every day is a brand new adventure. Now, it's time to embark on this journey together. Trending this half hour on the Mike Farwell Show. On City News 570. I want to extend, on behalf of the London Police Service, my sincerest apology to the victim, to her family, for the amount of time that it has taken to reach this point. As a police officer working in this space for many, many years... I can tell you that this is a difficult, difficult situation for all victims and survivors of sexual violence. The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. And that is London Police Chief Ty Trung at the outset of the media conference yesterday. And I'll use media conference or news conference may be more to the point in air quotes here because I don't know about you, but I I was left wanting and wondering a little bit after that news conference yesterday. And I'm going to open the phone lines so I can hear from you on this at 519-570-2545, star 570, and one 800-570-5715. As I said, near the outset of that news conference yesterday, London Police Chief Ty Trung, as you heard in that short clip, offered his apology to the woman who is at the center of all of this. And that is understandable and expected. But 
what we ended up getting, and again, I don't know about you, but I listened to virtually the entirety of this media conference yesterday, and there was a consistent theme that emerged. The theme sounded a little something like this. Uh, I don't think I can answer that question. I'm sorry. I know this is going to be frustrating for everyone. Everyone wants answers, but I cannot compromise the investigation by providing specific details. You know, again, I can't speak to that, you know, those details that you're asking for. And as the chief already mentioned, this is one investigation. We cannot provide details about the 2018 (laughs) investigation because it may compromise our case that's currently before the courts. Again, I will just say we've laid out the charges that we have reasonable grounds for at this time. So you can't say that there will or will not be any charges? You can't say I'm not going to comment on that. Given how much attention there is on this case, the question has been asked and it will be asked continually in a general sense. Can you tell us today who bears the responsibility for that delay? That's a great question and it's a question that everybody wants to know. And right now I cannot answer that question. It will truly compromise the curtain process. We cannot answer that question. I'm sorry, but we cannot answer that question. I can't provide details on that question, et cetera, et cetera. That last bit, though, is really the crux of all of this, at least from where I'm sitting. And that is what happened between 2018 and this week. That changed things because initially there was a complaint filed with London police. There was an investigation and that investigation was closed without any charges being laid. And more than five years after that investigation closed, we now have a new investigation into the same circumstance and charges have, in fact, been laid, as we well know, against five players who competed for Team Canada at the 2018 World Junior Hockey Championships. What changed? What, if anything, went wrong in the initial investigation? That, to me, is the key to all of this. And, look, I also respect and understand the desire... And, and frankly, the need to not in any way interfere with or taint the upcoming court proceedings. Anything that gets said now runs the risk of having the case lost on the grounds of something that was said well outside the courtroom. So I get that. But what I'm starting to wonder then is why there was even a news conference at all. First of all, we had to wait weeks for what we finally got yesterday from London police. And then what we got was a whole bunch of no comment, I can't answer that. Knowing that you wouldn't be able to answer virtually anything, I would submit to you that a statement would have sufficed just fine in this regard. And be clear in that statement. There is nothing that we can tell you today that would not compromise the upcoming court proceedings. Once those proceedings have reached their conclusion, we will provide full answers. And frankly, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know that I really fully grasp why we can't be given answers to the big question. What changed? 
what went wrong the first time? Why is it that now we are going to be proceeding with charges and a trial? Who made a mistake before? What happened in the previous five to six years? You might, you, you, you would be within your rights to believe that it was the reporting that brought this story to the public's attention that put enough pressure on police to go back and do the job the right way. I don't know. And, and the fact that we can't even learn that, if you can't even say that, I think a statement would have been more than enough instead of so much media on hand that you have to hold the news conference at a convention center to say basically nothing. But that to me is the key piece. And, and I left unsatisfied in that regard yesterday. A, a really difficult position for police in London to be in. But if you can't say anything, then just don't say anything. And make sure that when you are able to, we get the transparency that is absolutely required in this regard. How did you feel about what you heard yesterday? Are you satisfied? Was this a big nothing burger from where you're sitting? Anything like that? There was one other thing that Chief Trung said yesterday that really left me unsettled. I'll share that with you and take your phone calls right after this. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. A lot of questions, not a lot of answers. That would be my high-level summary of yesterday's quote-unquote news conference held by London police to speak more, or at least as much as police could, about the arrest of five young hockey players and the charges against them connected to an alleged sexual assault in a London hotel back in 2018. 519-570-2545. Star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing okay. Good. Um, yeah, I, I listened to the, uh, the, the, the whole thing yesterday when I was driving around. And, yeah, I was a little disappointed myself. Um, you know, a lot of unanswered questions. And, you know, the thing is that it happened such a long time ago and now it's just coming uh now it's coming up and i just it didn't make any sense i i i I feel bad you know for the the young woman that she went through it but i also you know feel for the hockey player if they're just everything that's gone on it's just i know the credibility of the london police people have been saying have hasn't been the greatest but it just it just seems odd why it's just come up and why, yeah, like you say, why bother holding a conference when we're not going to be told anything? Yeah, that's the real uh, challenging part for me. And, you know, maybe if all you do is issue a statement, then you're the subject of criticism anyway. You're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. But not a whole lot in the way of what I believe to be the important answers yesterday. Bill sends an email to Mike at 570news.com. 
Uh, says Mike, my cynical take, they didn't lay charges originally thinking it was just going to go away like always. Then it didn't go away this time. So they reopened the case and they are now playing a PR game to save face. Bill, I appreciate the email. And I think that it is fair to speculate that. As cynical as it may be, how else do you justify the five to six years in between an initial investigation that ends with no charges laid and then new evidence comes to light or public reporting on the issue puts pressure on you? It's really tough. Who got in the way between 2019 and today? I don't know. But this is where we're at. And it does leave one wanting for answers in all of this. There was something else that I heard yesterday that, quite frankly, I shuddered at just a little bit. And it sounded like London Police Chief Ty Trung kind of going off script. Uh, a question had been ans- had been asked, and before the answer given, Chief Trung stepped back up to the microphone to say this. I will take this minute to to share with you that what we're looking at is not, you know, for us, Hockey Canada, this is an investigation where there's a victim of sexual assault. So there's a widespread prevalence of violence towards women worldwide, worldwide. And one contributing factor and one complex thing that we need to address is us as a society and community because the sexualization of young women and girls in today's society is contributing to the violence against women. And part of it, and I'm not blaming the media, but I do want to highlight that how we portray young women and girls on TV, in music videos, how we write about them, magazine shoots, all that contributes to sexual violence and the normalization of what we're seeing. So I just want to share that with you and I want you to understand that to me this is an investigation that involves a victim. I truly, I'm not a hockey player, I, I don't know nothing about hockey. This is a sexual assault investigation. It is, and I'm pleased that Chief Trung made that point. But the rest in the middle, I, I could not possibly disagree with more. And, and here's why. To, to look at the, I mean, it's, my gosh, it's a 40-year-old argument now, maybe even longer. Because of the sexualization of young women and girls, the way they're portrayed in media, in music videos, in magazine shoots, this is why we're dealing with sexual violence? No, it's not. Like, I, I want to be really clear about this, and I want to be really strong in my disagreement with that characterization of what we're dealing with here. It's not about how young women are portrayed in media, be it a music video or a magazine shoot. Last time I checked, there were guys that are in music videos and magazine shoots too, sometimes even in their underwear. Why aren't they 
being talked about as survivors of sexual assaults like this. Oh, because that's not what it's about, Chief Trung. What it's about is us guys who, for whatever reason, think that women are property, are objects. This is about power. That's all. It's not because you saw somebody in a music video that you decide to carry out a sexual assault. It's all about the power. And we, guys, we have to own this. Right? It's the power that we think we have and think we can just exert over women. It's got nothing to do... That, that statement, it really, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I just wanted to, to bring it up and, and to dispel what I believe is, a, is an awful myth that was perpetuated in those comments yesterday. It's sexual violence is all about power. And guys, it's on us to recognize this dynamic and to change it. And anybody that thinks the way Chief Trung thinks all these decades later needs to be corrected in that thinking. That is so off base. Really left me cringing as I listened to it driving home from work yesterday. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. A couple of minutes away from 10 and an update from the City News Center before we move into the money we spend at grocery stores and how the stores are encouraging us to spend that money. Let's go back to the phones, though, and continue talking to you. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Mike. I agree with you on uh, that presentation by the police was useless. Um, The former uh, police chief, but... um, Okay, let's not go there. Um, Hockey Canada has some uh, thing to bear on this. They should have told those players, you have to, um, you know, give give the police information. They did not do that. So now this poor woman has to go after five years all through her hurt again, when she might have just been starting to heal. Hockey Canada, obviously they have this fund. So this is not the first time this has happened. I think they have to clean up their act big time. Mary, I agree with you on that score as well. And as I alluded to earlier, because it was suggested to me yesterday when I posted about this on Twitter, the the dots just don't connect for me between 2018 and 2024. And that's the key piece of information that, for me, needed to come out of yesterday's news conference. Otherwise, don't hold the news conference at all. Bill's email earlier is pointing a finger at police. And the case is now being reopened as part of a PR game to save face. Did Hockey Canada interfere all those years ago, leading to that multi-million dollar lawsuit and settlement that we don't know the exact number, amount of, but there was some out-of-court settlement reached. Mary's right. Was there an organization or an individual that interfered all those years ago? We don't know that. But I'll tell you this much. If, If the news conference yesterday, information was withheld so as not to prejudice the upcoming trial, we sure as hell better learn after the fact. 
where this all went wrong and how we ensure that it doesn't go this wrong again. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. How many of us has not tried to save some money when going to the grocery store? Heck, I went to the grocery store just after work yesterday. And believe you me, I was very careful to follow the list. Only buy what's written down, Farwell. Don't buy anything else. Turns out, of course, there are strategies being employed by that grocery store enticing us to buy even more while we're there. Andreas Becker is an associate professor and chair in the Department of Food, Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph, joins us for a chat about it. Andreas, good morning. Good morning, Mike. What are loss leaders? Yeah, so loss leaders uh, basically describes a pricing strategy that is aimed to get customers into the store by offering lower than usual prices. And they can, as the name suggests, uh, even be so low that the uh, uh, that they are below uh, the unit costs for the uh, for the retailer. And what the retailer wants to achieve is uh, entice the consumer to buy more things in the store, and then overall end up uh, or being more compensated or overcompensated for the losses or a small margin that he incurred with the loss leader. And obviously, if this is a tactic that has been employed for some time, because I've heard about it before, it it must work. People aren't just going into the store, buying that inexpensive item that the store may be even taking a loss on, and then leaving, are they? Yeah, certainly. And uh, there are a number of factors that make this strategy successful. But we also have to see uh, a bigger picture that um, retailers have a number of ways of uh, enticing to, uh, consumers to uh, visit the store. And it's all part of what's now called or has been developing over the past 20 years. It's called omni-channel retailing. So you have online ordering, um, social media, and the apps that individual stores have. Then in-store uh, promotions, the flyers, mem- and very important membership and uh, loyalty programs. And, of course, broadcasting uh, media, uh, the same. And um, one thing that really works uh, is that uh, we all are time-strapped. So under time pressure, we do not, we are not good at processing information. And so when you get into the store under time pressure, you see uh, something that is offered that is a surprise. Then, yeah, you get the um, the idea, this is, yeah, this is a good deal. And you put it in um in the card. Uh, the other thing is that when you are actually attracted by the uh, loss leader into the store, then your mindset changes. You can then also say, well, I saved this much on the loss leader. Now I can spend a little bit more on the other items that I might value for special occasions, for example. Would we tend to buy or would a store even increase the price of another product so that they get an even greater profit margin on it or is it just to hope that we do go to those items that do have the larger margins um 
nowadays um, retailers now have invested over the last 20 years into uh, expanding their ID, I, IT and um, let's say data analytics capacities. So they can, they run experiments all the time. And um, my guess is that after COVID or during COVID, the frequency of price changes has increased. So it's very difficult to really say what is the, the normal price for a product. And if you increase something, let's say a week before you, um, you advertise it as a loss leader, then of course the, um, the savings seems a lot more. And at the same time, they can experiment because, well, to increase the prices of products that this person usually p- uh, purchases because they can track each person via the, uh, the rewards card or the, the debit or credit card, they can do this for, yeah, if the group is large enough uh, that has similar purchasing behavior, uh, yes, they can get the, um, the customers to pay more for that item because you wouldn't go to a different store for just one item or two items. Right. Do the loss leaders, Andreas, tend to be certain types of products, for example, perishable items versus a household staple like toilet paper? Yeah, so it's something that um, the customer uh, uh, buys on a regular basis, and we have basically two types of loss leader categories. One is by habit. You know that this product is permanently priced very low. That's one of the reasons why you go to the store. Uh, bananas would be one example. Uh, then the uh, now yeah, the famous uh, rotisserie chicken that is uh, at Costco's, for example, that is offered at a very low price. Um, so these are by habit. And um, the other ones are yeah, by surprise. Uh, when you get an item that is usually much higher that is then advertised to actually bring new people to, to the store. It occurs to me that with all of the data, all of the analytics that are available to a grocery store about us, either through the use of our loyalty card or tracking our purchases through debit and credit cards, we've kind of, as consumers, become a little bit like guinea pigs, haven't we? Well, I could also say that uh, retailers now have many ways of training consumers, if you if you allow that uh, 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 expression, because it's really, so when you look at the loyalty cards, um, that's what a lot of consumers respond, are responding to, and they um, actually cost the, the company money because you're typically, what well, you get, 1% of the purchase price as uh, for uh, that can be redeemed later. But it is, that course must be worthwhile to the retailer because they get so much more information. And as I said before, 10 years ago, the retailers were not really able to process that much information uh, on data. But now with the uh, advance of algorithms that can manage data and look for, let's say, patterns, um, this has become much more feasible. And uh, I think that retailers can now track not only the purchase of individual products, but also the baskets or cards that uh, what people put into their cards. Uh, for example, uh, when there's a uh, an advertising campaign, does it change to what they usually put into their cards? They can also track um, with their loyalty cards if if it is, for example, a, a debit or a credit card. They can track whether the, uh, the their customer is going to another grocery store. With that. 
fascinating world and being trained. I think that's a very good way to look at it. Uh, Andreas, thank you very much for being part of the show today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Andreas Becker is an associate professor and chair in the Department of Food, Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. You may remember me having shared this with you before. I'm not a loyalty card guy. I don't care how many cents off a liter of gas you're giving me, how many points you're going to give to me for this item or that item. I don't care because I know that that is just another way for you to track my habits, to train me to buy a specific product at a specific time or for you to target more advertising at me. Now, am I losing out financially? I don't know. I don't think so because I think this is a really well-oiled machine that would take one of us average Joes or Janes a long time to figure out. So I'm content, and even if it is costing me more, it's not costing me so much more that I'm going to be beholden to your loyalty card. I just, I feel like it's that old thing about Facebook, right? If, if the site is free, then you are the product, that kind of idea, right? I carry one credit card that does offer a cash back and that's it. And the cash, you know, so instead of points for purchases, you get money for purchases and, you know, after a little while you just cash it in and use it to pay off or pay down your balance that month, whatever it is. So anyway, that's all I carry. But that's just the way I am in all of this. And I try, like I find it like a little game when I go into the grocery store. What are they trying to divert my attention to? Where are they trying to attract me? Those lost leaders sometimes are at the far back corner of the store. So you have to work your way to them. And on the way there, oh, you might find this, that, and the other thing to add to your cart so that the store can continue to make its margins. Make no mistake, you are the product. How do you save money? What are your grocery store hacks, especially right now, of course, when we're all trying to save a buck. Can you help a friend out here? How are you saving money at the grocery store right now? Tell us your tricks on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. When you get into the store under time pressure, you see something that is offered that is a surprise. Then you get the idea this is a good deal and you put it in the cart. The other thing is that when you are actually attracted by the loss leader into the store, then your mindset changes. You can then also say, well, I saved this much on the loss leader. Now I can spend a little bit more on the other items that I might value for special occasions. Andreas Becker is an associate professor and chair in the Department of Food, Agricultural and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. Some excellent reminders from the associate professor this morning about how grocery stores are trying to lure us into their buildings with loss leaders, really good prices on certain products, so that while we're there, we'll spend our money on some of the other things in the store where the store has a higher profit margin. And believe you me, they wouldn't be doing this if it didn't work. Uh, Connected to that, somewhat loosely, but nonetheless connected to that, I saw something on the internet this weekend that, quite frankly, I, I just couldn't believe. And what I saw on the internet was that if you were to buy the store brand 
ice cream sandwich from Walmart, you would have a quote unquote ice cream sandwich that would not melt. Far be it for me to just believe what I saw and read on the internet. I had to put it to the test myself. So I spent $5.98 yesterday at the Walmart here at the boardwalk to buy a dozen quote unquote ice cream sandwiches. I brought them to work today and I've placed one on a plate in my studio to see how it holds up through the show. Luke Schultz was filling in this morning on All News Mornings with Christine Clark. And you just walked in here, Luke, and told me. So first of all, can you please speak as an independent and unbiased third party as to the current state of my ice cream bar in the studio? Yeah, I'll say it looks uh, close to pristine. There's a little bit of warping on the cookie, maybe a little bit of a loss of structural integrity to the ice cream. Uh, But seeing as you haven't meddled with the product, I think it still looks approachable. I would go for it. I'm tempted. Like, I want to touch it, but I don't want to, as you said, I don't want to do anything to kind of taint the experiment because I want to know how spongy it is. But yes, I love the way you talked about the structural integrity too. There is some warping going on, but generally this is like, there's no liquid or ice cream seemingly melting away from the cookie. Yeah, maybe a a typical product. I think it would be uh, a little done by now. You'd have a pool and maybe some cracker floating in there, but... so. Just for research purposes, of course. Strictly research purposes. I ate one of these last night. Okay. Fresh out of the freezer. Yeah. Because I bought them, I took them home. I'm like, okay, like, is this really ice cream? And I'm just going to be honest, it was delicious. You've established the standard. It Delicious. I really enjoyed it. In fact, it was so much enjoyed by my daughter that I couldn't bring all 10, because there were 12 in the box. We each ate one. I couldn't bring 10 to work this morning, because she said, I wouldn't mind having some more. So I left a few at home. Brought the rest in. This has now been sitting here for four hours without melting, oozing away. But you just walked into my studio, Luke, and you admitted something. Yeah. Um, I love that you established the window of four hours because there's also a box of those that's been sitting just to increase the sample size in our break room for a similar amount of time. Maybe there's a little bit of sunlight on the box, too. Um, but, you know, it's morning. I've been here since 4 o'clock, and uh, I, I can only resist the allure for so long. So I went for it. I went and uh, <laughs> had one of the uh, ice cream sandwiches that's been similarly sitting out in its wrapper, I will say, uh, for you know a couple of hours as well. You couldn't do this at 7 o'clock. You couldn't do this at 6.30 shortly after they arrived, still probably at least partially frozen. I mean, I never said it was the first one I ate today. <laughs> and? I mean, you're sitting here. And you, yeah. you, how's your stomach? Oh, right now. It's great. We'll see how that goes. How did it taste? Still pretty good. I, I will say uh, the consistency was a little bit more s'more-like. Uh, which is strange because it's, it's room temperature. Um, but the one that I had did not look similar to the one that's sitting on the plate right now. The uh, ice cream was a little bit of a frothy consistency. The cookie a little sticky and stuck to the packaging. Uh, visually appealing, maybe not delicious still. Yeah, I'd say it's still pretty good. And it's been sitting on a table in our break room for four hours. Yeah, and will I get roasted by the rest of my colleagues for eating that? Probably. But, uh, you know, am I above a third one? We'll see. You did it in the name of science, my friend. Sure. Let's call it science. (laughs) Luke Schultz of City News 570 helping us along with the great ice cream sandwich experiment here on the Mike Farwell Show today. Happy to be of service. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
It is 1028, just ahead of your update from the City News Centre. Let's go back to the phones. Francis, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, sir. How are you? Very good. Um, talking about uh, lost leaders. Yes, sir. I found a lot of times, that, uh, if you look at the best before date, which I, it's just a code line, you'll find products that are almost out of date. And I proved it a number of times. We just bought some peanut butter. And what the ones that I had in stock about three months ago has a, a further best before date than the stuff we just bought. That was one thing. So it's really not a lot of leaders either that or throw it out. And I find that we go to shoppers on Thursdays, we'll save because we're a senior, and I tell them I'm a super senior. <laughs> at least a buck thirty on a four-liter mill. And what I do is I park between stores. The last heaviest purchases would be the store I park closest to, and then I walk at least five minutes. It doesn't kill me. It does me good, and I get what is on sale. I love it. That's very smart. Can I ask what a super senior is, Francis? Oh, somebody that's over 75. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, and I just turned 29. I got you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah well, I, used to be, I, I used to turn it around and be 57, you know, and you're 92 <laughs> if you put it backwards then. <laughs> well done, Francis. Thanks for calling this morning. God bless. Bye-bye. Good to hear from you, as always. An update from the City News Centre. And then, what is White Cane Week? Well, you've come to the right place to find out. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We have entered the first full week of February, and that means we have entered White Cane Week. I was made aware of this, courtesy of an old friend. We used to sit on a board together, and I would see her there with her faithful and loyal guide dog. And it was Sharon Ward-Zeller, who joins us on the show this morning, who brought White Cane Week to my attention. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Mike. Good to hear from you. It's great to hear from you, and thank you so much for the message to spark this conversation. Super. Sharon brought along with her Cecilia Beachy, who's a secretary with the Canadian Council of the Blind. Cecilia, good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm very good. Good. Uh, Cecilia, if I could start with you, what is White Cane Week? Why do we mark this in the first week of February? Uh, They wanted to bring awareness to uh, people about... Um, the visual tool of the white cane and what it means and how people use it. Um, and, and it also brings, um, they wanted to focus on other things that the blind people can do throughout the the year, but they, they focus on that, on things that they can do in the first week of February. And, and Sharon, for you, as I mentioned, uh, the guide dog that I first got to know you with a way back when, do you also use a white cane? Only if Christopher, my guide dog, is unavailable okay, um, or, or ill, which neither of which happens. I did use a white cane for, oh, five or six years after I lost most of my vision and then decided a guide dog was better for me. But the white cane still, I really love it. I have it. I have it just in case. Can you speak, Sharon, to your experience when using that white cane, what it's like. Um, many people, when I'm using the white cane, 
believe it or not, do not recognize it, don't know what it means. I'm holding it up in front of me and someone is expecting me to read their sign and I can't. So it's wonderful for walking. I'm walking along the street. I move the white cane back and forth in front of me, the tip of it near the ground so that, but I can't can't go too fast, so that should I encounter an obstacle, I can stop dead and feel around some more with that cane. There's three kinds of white canes, by the way. One is a long one, which is uh, for real mobility. One is called an ID cane, and it's tiny, and you can just hold it up so that it makes other people aware. And the third is a support cane, which has like a shepherd's crook top, so that if I also happen to have a mobility issue, I can use it. Cecilia, what would you and the Canadian Council of the Blind like other people to know about white canes? Um, Just to recognize what it is, that people who have one are visually disabled and may need assistance to do things, but you always ask that person if they need help before you do it. Um, It's it's just an awareness tool for, for the public so that uh, they can help somebody if they're in, in a great need. I like the way you put that too, Cecilia, to ask before just jumping in and providing whatever help you think might be needed. It's important to make that request first. Can I help you? Do you need help with something? Oh, there's a wonderful phrase, Mike, that I like, and it's how can I help you? Mm-hmm. Because people know what their needs are. And uh, yeah. Cecilia, what sorts of tips do you offer to those using white canes, if they're getting one for the first time, for example? I don't have a lot of uh, training to do with the people. I'm just their helper. But um, people think it's a sign that they're in trouble, and they are in trouble. And so they have to recognize that they need that white cane to make themselves safe outside in the public. Um, and, and it's a difficult thing for someone who is in need of a white cane to have to go through that stage in their life to recognize they're not 100% anymore, that they do need help. And uh, we're, we're all here to help them to, to get through some of those things. Sharon, have you encountered uh, an experience when you needed help and somebody was able to provide it for you? Oh, frequently, frequently. And opening up the cane or holding it up in front of someone absolutely helps and uh, people most people are so very helpful sometimes they overhelp but as i tell myself and other people with vision loss don't ever refuse just say thank you and tell them what you need um walking for instance we call it sighted guide when we train people sighted people to lead a blind person and um, there are a few little rules and it mainly involves the blind person taking the elbow of the sighted leader and sometimes sighted people just want to grab me and pull me and I trip over a curb or whatever they mean well but we know it's important for us to tell whoever's helping how to help us. I think it's so important not only to remind folks what the white cane symbolizes, and I loved your phrasing a moment ago, Sharon, how can I help you? And Because the person who needs it can best describe what their needs are. Just before I let you go, you mentioned Christopher, your guide dog, and 
because I love our four-legged friends so mm-hmm. much. What what does Christopher do for you? When Because you said you don't need the white cane all the time. How is Christopher helpful? Christopher has a great harness that I walk him on my left. We go walking, and he follows his sideways. He follows my directions implicitly, forward, right, left, unless there's danger. He's trained to disobey in case of danger. His main thing is to protect me. So if we're walking along the sidewalk, and perhaps there's a, a gray bike lying across the sidewalk, and I wouldn't see it at all. I would trip over it and break a leg. Well, he will either go around it, if that's possible, or stop dead. And I can feel around. I remember once I was at the corner of Mellon, Mellon, Ottawa, and... Uh, he stopped. I was wanting to go up and catch the ion train. He stopped dead and wouldn't go any further. I heard someone crying beside me and realized it was a lady in the car, and she said, oh, my God, I just hit the ion train. So obviously, because after I walked a little closer or I got her to describe things, the train was across the entire intersection. He couldn't see the front or the back of it, and so he stopped. And I've been trained to obey him. Sound, I out, by the way. It did, I, you know what? It's What a great relationship, the way it works out that way. Sure does. This is so informative for us. Uh, Sharon, Cecilia, thank you very much for making time for the show today to talk about White Cane Week. Back at you. Same to you. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Great, great to hear from my old friend Sharon Ward Zeller, who's a volunteer now with the Canadian Council of the Blind, and Cecilia Beachy, longtime secretary with the council. This is White Cane Week. If you didn't know, now you know. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Probably as good a time as any to remind you that uh, eight days from today, one week tomorrow, to put it another way, next Wednesday, next Wednesday, Valentine's Day. And hey, you can uh, get something sweet for your sweetheart in support of Lassard and Innisfree Hospice. How's that for an idea? Sarah Ainsworth is the spokesperson and fund development coordinator at Lassard and Innisfree, and joins us for a conversation. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Can you tell us a little more about Sweethearts for Hospice? Our Sweethearts for Hospice is just a fun little fundraiser uh, around Valentine's Day. It's typically slow around this time of year, and we thought, what not, what better time of year to maybe add something in and help people out? Uh, so it's $25 a box. We have a finite number of boxes available, and within the box, there's assortment of sweet treats from CS Baked Goods and Thunderstorm Snacks that include cookies, hot chocolate cones, uh, handmade chocolates, uh, sweet hearts, um, cinnamon hearts, and handcrafted popcorn. You had me at cookies, Sarah. <laughs> I have never met a cookie, not one, ever, that I didn't want to eat, so... <laughs> or a butter tart. <laughs> or a butter tart. You're not wrong about that. You know me too well. That reminds me of Butter Tart Bob. How is he? He's doing very well, thank you. One of your great volunteers. I love to hear Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Thank you for the update on that. You mentioned it's a kind of a, a slower time of year, so this is a nice way to generate a little of the important revenue for the work you do at Lasard and Free. Of course. Um, so the funds raised with our Sweetheart Boxes are going to support our Art from the Heart program. Um, which are pieces of art 
um, that are left a a wonderful memento of a loved one to their loved one after they've passed. So because we do need to raise $2 million annually to provide the services available within hospice, uh, this little fundraiser helps boost the Art from the Heart program um, and provide these mementos to families at no cost. The mementos to families with Art from the Heart, for sure, but even the care that families receive in those I, I can't think of more important days of someone's life towards the end of life. And something I've learned having uh, gotten to know the work you do at Lassard and Innisfree, Sarah, is that you mentioned this $2 million in fundraising that you have to do annually. People continue to be blown away that when they arrive at Lassard and Innisfree Hospice, they're not charged for their stay. No, they aren't. Our services are free. We do receive a small amount of government funding, but a lot of what we do offer is through fundraising uh, and the generosity from our community. So where can we get our own Sweethearts box for hospice? Sweethearts are available on our website at lassardeninisfree.com. All right. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that as soon as you say cookies, you've absolutely got my attention. But along with my cookie habit, I, I've been known to to buy the occasional 50-50 ticket, too. And I understand you have a 50-50 draw as well? We do. It's our second 50-50, and it's currently running. Uh, It goes until March 21st. Tickets are available on our website at lasardeninisfree.com. Three for 10, 40 for 20, and 100 for 40. And currently, the take-home winnings are at $2,300 and climbing. You know what you could do with $2,300? You could buy a lot of cookies. You could buy a lot of cookies, absolutely, <laughs> or maybe go on a nice vacation. Lots of options. Cookies, Lots vacation. Options. I mean, for me, that might be a really difficult decision to make. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you share with us a little bit, Sarah, for those that might not know uh, what the experience is like at Lassard and Innisfree Hospice for somebody who ends up there? I think most people are surprised at how much of a home-like setting our facilities are. It's not, it doesn't have the institutionalized feeling like a hospital does. Um, Our staff are able to provide individualized care, so they have the time to be able to um, spend time with the residents and, you know, get to know them. And our families are always providing such wonderful feedback about just how outstanding the care is to their loved ones, but not only to their loved one, but to them as well. And it just makes a difficult time that much easier and makes the grieving process a little bit smoother and, and just heartwarming. And people want to give back and just the appreciation of the dignity and the care that they all received. And one of the things I've come to learn over time is that as difficult as these days are for the families involved, this is not a gloomy place to set foot inside of. Absolutely not. We have lots of celebrations. Uh, We recently had a wedding. We have vow renewals. We've had graduation parties, birthday celebrations. We have a group that's coming back to celebrate their loved one that's passed. Um, this week and just celebrating their memory and giving back to us for the care that they receive. So there is a lot of joy here and a lot of laughter 
um, mixed in with a little bit of sorrow, but it's it's most mostly joy. Sarah, I really appreciate you making time for the show today. We'll send people to Lassard and Innisfree.com for their sweethearts for hospice and for those 50-50 tickets, and keep up the good work. Thank you for having us. I do have to ask, Sure. what's the ice cream sandwich like now? <laughs> uh, you know what? It's, I mean, it looks edible still. There is, like, there's not even an itty-bitty tiny bit of uh, leakage, meltage, it's it's still intact. A little warped, but still completely intact. It is now four and a half hours since I put it in the studio. Wow. Well, we're invested and we're following along. I will let you know by one o'clock. Here's what I'm starting to wonder. Let me ask you in return. Okay. If this doesn't change any more dramatically by one o'clock, mm-hmm. should, I, should I eat it? Absolutely not. Okay. That, you were very quick with that answer. I will take it under advisement. <laughs> but it's got sugar in it, so you know it's going to be hard for me to resist. That's true. Sarah, thank you very much for being here. And again, for the work that you and the entire team do at Lassard and Innisfree. We really do. It means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sarah Ainsworth joining us from Lassard and Innisfree Hospice, where she is a spokesperson and fund development coordinator. Hey, the Sweethearts for Hospice are underway again. You can also buy a 50-50 ticket, the draw now worth more than $2,300. You do all of that just to support the great work that Lassard and Innisfree Hospice does in our community. Visit com. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, as you heard mere minutes ago, this is the first full week of February. That's why we mark White Cane Week. And it was great to have our friends from the Canadian Council of the Blind on the show to talk about that. Only eight days away from Valentine's Day. And that means you can get your sweethearts in support of hospice, Lassard and Innisfree. Just visit com. It's a $25 box supporting their Art from the Heart program. And it also just happens to be, since it's the first full week of February, our first Tuesday of the month. And you know what that means. From 11 until noon, we are joined by our policing leaders for an hour that you can ask questions of our policing leaders. It's called Ask the Chief, and it's coming up on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV. All right, second Tuesday. No, first Tuesday. My goodness. First Tuesday of every month. Get your act together, Farwell. Uh, Between 11 and noon, Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell joins us in studio for Ask the Chief. Usually alongside Chief Crowell is Staff Sergeant Scott Griffiths, but instead of Staff Griffiths today, we've got Sergeant Chris Mace in studio with us. So we talk to you a lot, Mark. Chris, good morning. Nice. Welcome. Nice to have you here. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and Chief Crowell, nice to see you as well. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Before we get into the matters at hand today, it just coincidentally turns out that I'm conducting a scientific experiment in the studio, and you are uh, honorable members of our local police service. So, a la Coopers at the Academy Awards, can you please verify what you see before you in terms of 
the current state of the ice cream sandwich that's been sitting in the studio now for almost five hours. Could you describe it, please? It appears to be a fairly normal and pristine ice cream sandwich. I just can't tell if there's raisins in it or not. So, <laughs> of course there yeah. wouldn't be. No. <laughs> okay, so we, we still have confirmation from our expert analysis in studio that this it, it's not, it does not appear to be melting in any way. Correct. Okay. Yeah. It's stuck to the plate. I'll tell you that for free. But, okay, I, I'm glad that you could be here to verify that for us. Uh, before we get to the calls, and yes, phone lines do uh, remain open during this. Chris, I wanted to start with you because we had a really unfortunate incident last night in Kitchener on Victoria Street uh, where we have uh, an older man, 66 years old, I believe, on a bicycle in a collision with a vehicle. What can you tell us about the status of that investigation and what we know about what happened? Uh, so the collision took place uh, just after 9, between 9.30 and 9.45 p.m. on Victoria Street North in Kitchener. Uh, where a cyclist was crossing the road between the McDonald's uh, and Harvey's and a uh, northbound vehicle uh, struck the cyclist, unfortunately. Um, the uh, traffic services unit is investigating uh, that incident. Uh, the male was transported to an outer region hospital with serious and life-threatening injuries. And um, we're just reminding uh, cyclists that, uh, the, you know, the minimum requirements under the Highway Traffic Act are to have a front and rear light on a bicycle, but that is just the minimum. And we should consider using crosswalks prior to crossing uh, major roadways such as that. And just don't be afraid to, uh, you know, uh, consider uh, high visibility clothing or, uh, you know, crossing up more, more well-lit areas. You know, I know that area really well, and not to get too deep into what details may emerge eventually, but that is a fast-moving four-lane stretch of roadway that you might be trying to get across, which poses an inherent risk. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's unfortunate circumstances, and uh, the investigation is still ongoing, and we are asking citizens that may have been in the area that have dash cam footage or may have witnessed the incident to contact the traffic services branch. Excellent to know, and that we can, as the public, help out. Okay, on, on your docket, Mark, one of the main things, even though it goes back uh, several days now, but we had uh, a really unfortunate 24 hours in the community where police were suddenly investigating two homicides, one in Cambridge, the other in Kitchener. I, I do believe we've had an arrest and charges in the Cambridge incident, but we're still working on the Kitchener shooting. Can you bring us up to speed on those investigations? Sure, yeah. It was a very uh, sad, tragic day. So on January 25th, uh, the first homicide happened just after 9 in the morning on Gray Street in Kitchener. Uh, a dynamic encounter uh, led to a 28-year-old male uh, found deceased outside of a residence uh, with gunshot wounds, was taken to hospital, uh, ultimately uh, pronounced deceased at the scene, though. Um, so we're, we've are appealing to the public for um, assistance with any uh, video footage, witness information they can provide. We have provided uh, a vehicle description, a 2017 to 2022 Honda CRV, dark gray in color. We've also provided uh, photographs of two individuals uh, believed to be involved seeking assistance through us or Crime Stoppers. So a uh, very dynamic, tragic encounter, another firearm-related incident. And at 9 in the morning in a residential you know, uh, area, five schools around. It was a very uh, difficult circumstances. So that investigation is ongoing. Um, Twelve hours later, just before 9.30 that night, we responded to that uh, Cambridge residence uh, where, very tragically, a 61-year-old uh, female was found deceased inside, and we have arrested and charged a 57-year-old male with uh, second-degree murder. 
So I would say that investigation is ongoing. There's still work to be done, but is mostly contained. And um, any information, to, you know, can be forwarded to us. But uh, a busy 12 hours, a busy 24 hours. And uh, just for some context, you know, that was two homicides within one day, which is, is quite uncommon. Uh, last year, we had uh, five homicides in the region. And uh, when I look back at the six-year trend, um, we have an average of six homicides a year, six attempt homicides a year. And it's a combination of both those types of incidents, you know, those dynamic um, you know, violent encounters right in the public eye. We've had a number of those. And then there's the ones that happen behind closed doors, which is a familial or intimate partner violence situation. So tragic for our community. Everyone counts. And my last comment is we just did some analysis of national trends. And, you know, this region continues to largely be a, a safe region in many respects. You know, um, national trends uh, don't mean a lot when there's a loss of life in our community. Um, and so, uh, you know, we did uh, provide that information to the board where firearm-related homicides across Canada are up, gang-related homicides are up, the number of young people involved and charged with homicides are up across Canada. So those are increasingly challenging trends for us that we're seeing. We're doing everything we can to intervene and help. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm, I'm always loath to be alarmist here. But as it turns out with these particular incidents... I was traveling with the Kitchener Rangers. I was out of town and I was receiving all kinds of messages about what had happened back home while I was away. What's your message to the community considering these trends that you just noted, Mark, and where we're at as a region when it comes to violence like this? Yeah, so there's two there's two kind of stories. There's as I mentioned, there's what happens behind closed doors, you know, uh, we've had uh a, Within uh, the last few years, a number of familial or intimate partner violence-related homicides or attempts or anything just of of a violent nature behind closed doors. And we're still trying to get the message out about not only opportunities to report concerns to police, but so many community partners that work with us to stop that cycle of violence within a household uh, before it reaches a, a, a pinnacle point. Uh, But the other one is, uh, we've talked about it every month, is the number of weapons in our community. And so we are seeing these dynamic encounters and altercation. Sometimes it's a theft, a robbery, or it's a deliberate act of violence. But we're just, you know, imploring people to be very cautious. Uh, The number of weapons that our officers are seeing on the streets and the number of guns and firearms, uh, replica firearms, but also knives and weapons of opportunity that we're seeing result in tragic encounters continues to rise. So uh, vigilance is important. Uh, Awareness uh, of surroundings is important. But, uh, you know, trying to um, disrupt uh, the gang-related violence and the young people involved, that takes a whole-of-community strategy that we need to uh, come to grips with. And we have some good things happening. Um, but that is going to require you know us all to come together and build some really purposeful plans, especially for young people. Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell, Sergeant Chris Mace with us in studio. It's Ask the Chief, first Tuesday of every month from 11 until noon. Ernie, we'll get to your call, and there's a line for you if you want to participate as well. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. In studio this morning with Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell, Sergeant Chris Mace with Traffic Services, talking about 
policing in our community and allowing you the opportunity to call at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. We'll go to the phones. Ernie, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing, big boss? This is for the chief. Good morning, Ernie. Great to hear from you. Uh, question I ask you, and it's, I know last year it was been uh, the 50 years of the anniversary of our service. Um, and I didn't hear any questions or, or maybe I missed something. How does and what is the procedure of having a, a police service in, your, in the city or municipality? And how, what's the procedure also to disband a police service to, you know, like to have a, a, a bigger a police service? Um, and that, that was my main question. That's very curious on that. And also, I probably might see you on the appreciation night on Saturday, if you're there, for the ABC. Wonderful. So, those thanks, Ernie. Thanks for your call. And, uh, and just for our listeners, I think he's asking about sort of the responsibility of, of how services come into, you know, existence and how they might change or, or be disbanded. So, happy to get to that. Um, and he mentioned uh, seeing uh, on, on Saturday night we're, we're hosting a appreciation night for all of our volunteers. So um, that's wonderful. So essentially the Police Services Act of Ontario seeks to provide consistency. So every uh, small, medium and large community in Ontario, and, and there's those that are governed by the OPP, there's Indigenous uh, services as well and so on. Um, the intention is that there's adequacy standards across every jurisdiction. And so the Police Service Act dictates that in every community there's a number of things that have to be provided for crime response, crime prevention, the efficiency of the service that we deliver. And so every community uh, of any size has to have all those things in terms of adequacy standards and what we call uh, adequate and effective policing. And so um, every municipality has a responsibility to provide those. And so it's interesting when you get into those discussions about the cost of policing, um, and responsibilities. Every municipality actually has the legislative responsibility to ensure those, those things are provided for every citizen. And so the Police Service Act actually provides a bit of a roadmap for how um, a police board um, and essentially that governance piece might oversee policing. But essentially the, the roadmap is there that if a, a service wishes to uh, take on contract policing with the OPP, there's stipulations for that. Um, and then there can become municipal agreements for sometimes a small service might amalgamate or become part of a, a larger jurisdiction. And that's happening um, on a consistent basis. So in Ontario and across Canada, there's something we call contract policing, where the RCMP or the OPP, as an example, um, provides that service to the community. Or you have a municipality or a region that provides that uh, you know, uh, conglomerate uh, sort of response. So... Um, the other thing that's in there, because um, I could go on all day about this, is uh, as communities grow, as this uh, province grows and changes, uh, it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, the cost of everything is going up, and so it's always important for us to be creative, uh, efficient, and so we can look to other jurisdictions for how we cost share on certain things like emergency response, canine units, traffic services, specialized services that um, as we get uh, more immersed into the cyber world, there's always these local, provincial, and national, and even international agreements that are always in place, and there's always a negotiation on how that might uh, carry out. So, so, Ernie, thanks for your question. And uh, there is uh, a new Police Services Act that is expected to come into force on April 1st of this year, 
and that will set a new roadmap for decades to come in terms of the adequacy of policing across Ontario. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a story from British Columbia. I think it was Surrey, yeah. where RCMP had been the police service, but they're moving back to a municipal model. Would it ever change here, Mark, away from our municipal model to a provincial policing model, for example, as we grow larger and larger? It's possible. And so uh, this is one of the most unique places in the world to provide policing services because of our uh, stark geography, you know, just the terrain, the kilometers that we have to cover. And so in densely populated places like southern Ontario, you know, you have a cluster of police services. But when you have those larger swaths of geography, uh, it makes a lot more sense sometimes for a provincial service um, to cover that. So um, Ontario and Quebec are unique uh, in terms of having the Ontario or the Quebec Provincial Police. Um, Within other provinces, though, RCMP is the main um, sort of national uh, contract police service that provides that local municipal lens. So within Ontario, it could uh, continue to see consolidation. I think that uh, you might see some smaller communities have that debate about do we join another service and become kind of a regional model um, to become a co-police you know, partner model for certain things or as an entity or say does the OPP take on more responsibility and uh, it really comes down to dollars and cents and expectations of citizens for the service that they want to see provided but uh, the growth is is here, and it's probably not ending. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, uh, Chris, one more I wanted to ask you about before we uh, take a quick break, and that is uh, a collision in the parking lot at Conestoga Mall last evening. I thought sometimes on private property, police wouldn't have been involved, but what can you share with us about that? Yeah, so even uh, when a collision is on private property, the uh, Highway Traffic Act doesn't have any jurisdiction. Uh, but uh, should the driving behavior be criminal in nature, it would have jurisdiction. But notwithstanding that, if a person does suffer uh, personal injuries as a result of a collision, uh, we have an obligation to investigate that. Um, so that's what happened there last night. And uh, traffic services did respond to that collision as well, um, where a uh, pedestrian was uh, crossing from the parking uh, stalls area uh, back into a business and um, a, was struck by a motor vehicle uh, in the lot there. Uh, any serious injuries in that one? Uh, they're serious, but not life-threatening injuries in that collision that took place. All right. Sergeant Chris Mason, studio with us, along with Chief Mark Crowell. It is Ask the Chief, part of the Mike Farwell Show, first Tuesday of every month, 11 until noon. City News 570 and Rogers TV. Rocks. First Tuesday of every month from 11 until noon, we're joined in studio by Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell. Sergeant Chris Mace along today as well. And just a couple of minutes away from a news update from the City News Centre. But Jocelyn will get your question and then the answer right after the news. So thanks for calling. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I had two questions actually, but I'm just going to ask one this morning instead. Um, I, up until 2017, was a resident of Elmira, and there is no longer a police station there. I'm wondering what the reason was for taking that away, if it was funding or if you weren't busy enough, and if there's a plan to bring a police station back into town, because I've, I still frequent the area quite a bit and hear a lot of people really miss that. So I'm just wondering what the plan is and if there is something in the works to bring something back. All right, Jocelyn, really appreciate that call and that question. It was right there near Rural Roots Brewery. Just give them a little shout-out for one of our craft breweries. And you mentioned this a moment ago, Mark, when you were talking about the unique landscape here, right, in this region and what makes it such a unique place to police. So I have to get to the new centre for this update. We'll put a pin in that question and come back and answer that 
right after we get this update from the City News Centre for you. And then we continue. It's Ask the Chief, the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570, and Rogers TV. We continue in studio as we do on the first Tuesday of every month from 11 until noon with Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell, Sergeant Chris Mays from Traffic Services with us as well this morning. Mark, we had a question just before that update with Paul McPhee from Jocelyn about the closure of the old detachment in Elmira. Yeah, so that was lovingly known as uh, Division 3A at one point in time. And uh, essentially it just reached its end of life in terms of how we use that space and, and sort of the adequacy there. Um, but the, our presence uh, is still important, not only in Woolwich and Elmira, but across uh, all rural, rural jurisdictions. So um, we have a strategy. We've uh, essentially um, been to every council last year, um, you know, faced the music at every rural um, municipal council and heard from them about the the want for police visibility, especially traffic enforcement on those rural roads where we know there is um, a lot of speeding. There's a lot of uh, major uh, collisions happening there, and so we have we have a, um, a storefront uh, foothold in air, and we also have one uh, soon to be unveiled in the Wellesley Community Centre, and we're still looking at other opportunities uh, for Woolwich and in Wilmont as well, where we used to have one in New Hamburg, and it's this whole thing of um, just predictability where people know that they can find us, they can meet us, they can meet the officers during office hours. And we're always looking at that balance of return on investment. And the thing we're also looking at is what's the opportunity for us to potentially contemplate like a mobile police station as well, where we could be totally versatile uh, as well. But we're hearing that as the rural townships grow, um, police presence is crucial. Uh, Mayor Sandy Schantz from uh, Woolwich is on our police services board, and she always provides that lens to us on behalf of her colleagues. And so we know the demands for policing are significant everywhere, but the kilometers that we travel uh, across the rural roadways are significant every day. So this is an ongoing conversation, but we have a strategy and we need to continue to listen, but also be responsive to Jocelyn's concerns and, and others out there about are we, where we need to be and where people want us to be. All right. Uh, great question, Jocelyn. Thanks for bringing it forward. Let's go back to the phones. Anne, good morning. You're on with Chief Crowell and Sergeant Mace. Good morning, everyone. Um, my question or concern is about aggressive, and I mean aggressive panhandlers in Uptown Waterloo. Uh, yesterday, I was at Waterloo Square near the Ion Station, and this very big, tall man approached me and asked if I could help. Uh, I said no, and um, he asked me again. Uh, I said no, and um, he got very close to me and said, oh, come on. You can go to the bank and get me some. The bank talks. And that just set me off. And um, I, I said, uh, well, what makes you think that I have more than you? And um, I'm not too tall. I'm a senior. And uh, I did feel a little threatened because there was no social distancing whatsoever. Um, I hear in the news now that there is some kind of law that's being challenged. But, I mean, and I do understand times are tough, and I do help people, but yesterday I wasn't able to help this huge man who was uh, very determined that he was going to get something out of me. Finally, 
he started to walk away, and I, I was trying to walk away as well. Any suggestions? And thanks for that. It's it's a really it's interesting because Anne mentions the story in the news in Ontario. It's I think it's in Superior Court here in Ontario today. The Safe Streets Act is being challenged, and it talks about this very thing. The act is supposed to protect people like Anne from what's described as aggressive panhandling if they're waiting for public transit, for example. Uh, Mark, I'll leave it to you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so the Safe Streets Act is something that you know has been enforced for. For some time, and its its viability is always, you know, up for public discussion in terms of is that the right way to approach these things? And uh, there's the squeegee sort of situation, and that was the real purpose of it. But we see increasing uh, visible, uh, you know, homelessness uh, in our community and across Canada, uh, and the intersections of mental health addictions and uh, challenges that come along with that is is a viable community conversation. So, uh, you know, Anne, I'm sorry for the interaction, you know, that you were left to feel unsafe and probably a bit agitated and um, and concerned, you know, for your, potentially your safety. And so we're always working with, you know, our municipal partners um, in terms of the, the systems and supports that are in, especially our downtown cores. And so uh, the example is in Kitchener, we know that we have a, a visible visibility commitment in terms of a downtown uh, beat officers that are working with the local um, you know, business community and trying to find uh, those intersections and solutions that matter. The police don't have all the answers to those issues, and sometimes we need to bring community services and supports in. And so we're continuing to look at the uptown Waterloo area. I live very close to there. I'm familiar with exactly the, the landscape she's describing, and we're having those conversations with the city of Waterloo in terms of expectations with the uh, the business community in Waterloo as well. Uh, she asked for advice on the interaction, and I would just, you know, the advice that I would give to my family members is if you don't feel safe, you continue to walk away. And if you uh, con- have a sort of visible uh, active threat to your safety, I would make noise as you walk away to try and draw attention. Um, but no one, you know, deserves that uh, hostile, you know, interaction. Um, but there are people within our community that have significant needs and sometimes uh, – uh, require some some additional compassion and support. So um, just very broadly speaking, uh, this is an ongoing active dialogue here, but across Canada, is how do we um, provide that balance of, um, you know, community supports to those downtown cores where people te- seem to congregate for transportation or community, um, you know, interactions and so on. And so we're continuing to work with, uh, you know, all of our partners, I would say Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo, uh, there are active uh, discussions uh, happening about uh, the right balance of police responsiveness, visibility, and do we have that? It's it's always ongoing. And yeah. thanks for the question and the story. Uh, very well related. Uh, I don't know why I bother putting together notes for these segments because the caller, this is what it's about. And when the day I don't have notes, the callers won't be here. Uh, Ken, let's go to you for your question. Good morning. Good day, fellas. How are you? Good, thanks. All right. Uh, the, I'll set this up really quickly. I've always understood that if, if there's an accident or an incident or anything like that, and uh, and I'm going to call 911, if someone that's involved in this incident insists that, that I that they don't want me to call 911, that it's not their decision at this point, it's mine. That's always been my understanding. I might be wrong about that, but I want to. This comes from a discussion about a sexual assault. Not it didn't happen. This is philosophical. Uh, where the person I come upon the scene where someone's being sexually assaulted, and so I'm going to call 911, and the per- the victim is insisting that I do not. Okay, I'm curious about what my obligation is here under the law. 
So thanks, Ken. Thanks for your question. And, um, you know, your hypothetical uh, situation is something that, that happens every day where there are uh, sometimes, you know, uh, acts of, of violence or whatever occurs and then the citizen stumbles upon and, and becomes involved and sort of has that moral decision. So what I can tell you is um, we always would encourage people to err on the side of caution and reporting something where they feel like somebody requires medical attention or uh, some other emergency response or community support. Um, that being said, if somebody is being crystal clear about their um, in their want that police not be contacted, there may be complicated reasons for why why that ask is being made. But there's only um, very limited circumstances where people are compelled and sort of. Uh, in terms of the Criminal Justice Act and how that becomes enacted. So uh, that's in intimate partner violence situations. There's essentially mandatory charge policies when we establish grounds for an offense. But uh, if anyone were to come into that circumstance, um, you know, compassion uh, and that immediate assistance is important. But, um, you know, we also, I would say, you know, we would encourage you to, to Ken, to try and uh, encourage the person to... uh, to contact us, and if it's not the police, there's other community supports that could assist. Um, you gave the example of sexual assault, and if I even broaden that to other forms of harm like intimate partner violence, is you know the statistics say uh, that we only hear about 10% of, of things that happen uh, behind closed doors or could happen in, uh, in, right out into the public. And so uh, we can only help people with things that we know about, and we're always trying to encourage people, if it's not police that you're contacting, is there another community support that can assist people with um, either some kind of medical intervention, but also those wraparound trauma-informed responses that do exist in our community. And we have great community partners that we work with around the clock to provide that assistance. So uh, the short short answer to your first question is, are you uh, legally compelled to call police? You're not. Morally, I think, is a, that decision point that you would make. And I think none of us want to regret that we might have been able to assist uh, somebody in that dire circumstance, uh, and we never want something to accelerate or um, become worse down the road. So I'd never thought of something like that. It's a great answer and a great question. There's bystander training that's offered somewhere in the community. Is it through our Sexual Assault Support Center? I can't remember, but it's not through police, right? Bystander training? Not, not directly no, through no. us, but yeah. I know you can yeah. look for something like that, Ken, but that's a, it's a great talking point and a good conversation. All right, we've got to take a break. Uh, Kim and Sean and Mark, we see you. We'll get to you right after this quick timeout. Stay with us. It's Ask the Chief on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. In studio with Regional Police Chief Mark Crowell and Sergeant Chris Mace from Regional Police. First Tuesday of every month, 11 until noon, it is our Ask the Chief segment. And as usual, you have questions for our police leaders. So let's get right back to the phones. Kim, good morning. Hi. Hi, Mike. I haven't called in in a long time. I'm glad to hear from you. Okay. But, yeah. Wow. Am I going to regret this, Kim? No, you're not. Okay. I'm going to be as nice as I can be. okay? Okay. All right. With the chief. Okay, my question is, the young the young girl that called in, that was Edie Thumb, notice I called her young, about the panhandling. It's not only happening in Waterloo, it's happening on Highland Road. The Sobeys Plaza, in front of the TV, TD Bank, and the Food Basics. Aggressive. Yes. 
I did my research online, and there is a thing called aggressive panhandling, which I investigated. And apparently they're not supposed to, you know, ask for money. They're not supposed to have signs. They're not supposed to do certain things. Okay, this is where it's going to get sticky, Chief. When I called in about this issue, the police station told me, I'm going to try and be nice, Mike. Okay, we got to get to another caller, so okay. just if the you can share that story. tells yep. me that they cannot do anything about it. Okay, we'll leave it from there. And I don't, we can't cover much new ground with safe streets, but Mark, your thoughts on the response or lack thereof? Yeah, thanks, Kim. And, and I'm not satisfied to hear if that's the response you receive. So uh, this is an easy one for me in, in that if we are called to assist uh, a business, uh, a resident, you know, we are compelled to, to do that. Uh, sometimes there's limitations on uh, how quick we can respond in terms of the priorities that come in. But the, what you're describing about commercial plazas, Sobeys, Food Basics, wherever it is, um, that's private property. There is often um, somebody responsible that can uh, guide us in terms of what they want. If somebody is on private property, uh, sometimes we're working with security, sometimes we're working with business owners. Uh, to you know, to work uh, if somebody's not uh, uh, complying with expectations in those areas, there are uh, abilities under the Trespass to Pro- Property Act or other forms of legislation where we can intervene. And so, the priority response and and the customer service that you received is something uh, I'm certainly taking note of here. But um, there are um, avenues for us to assist and inter- intervene, and we often are working with business owners to do that. So, uh, hear you loud and clear in terms of your expectations. And our, our, ours are that everyone is safe and feels safe and will continue to, to do the best we can to address those issues. Kim, thanks for the call and, uh, and being nice even in a sticky situation. Uh, Sean, it's over to you. What's your question? Good. Good morning. Yeah. Well, I was wondering about, I was listening to the chief talk about the Police Services Act. They're repealing the 1990 Act and uh, placing it with the 2024 Act. And uh, he was talking about the amalgamation maybe of some services. And like in the UK, they have what they call territorial police services, where the police services at, at, at minimum serve an entire county and maybe multiple counties. You know, like they have like the Avon and Somerset or Devon and Cornwall. Do you think that might be a better way forward for Ontario police services, um, something along those lines than what we have now? Thanks, Sean. And, and I never want to uh, cast judgment on what individual communities feel that they need or want. Um, What I do say is we're one of the largest police services in Ontario and really in Canada. And so a regional service of our size has many benefits where whether it's, you know, the sophistication of our response, the level of training, the procurement of our uh, expertise or equipment, there's a lot of things that we can provide to this community that I think are important and allow us to, I hopefully respond in a really sophisticated, efficient way. And we also assist uh, services around us for some things like emergency response. Even our information technology uh, network um, is a shared response with uh, Stratford, uh, Brantford, uh, Guelph Police Service, and South Simcoe. So those kinds of arrangements are always working. So what you're describing in terms of a UK model is something that um, is of interest, you know, probably to us all is to say, are there those larger um, partnerships and consolidations of service that can be provided? And we have a patchwork quilt of that in Ontario. So I think the questions will come to the smaller communities moving forward is, 
is the cost of policing and the level of service uh, desired? Um, are those things uh, being met? You know, in a, in a small community where the tax base is the opportunity to um, provide the accelerated or growth of service, and oftentimes people are asking for more and better policing. And so there's always that conversation of could this model be be done in a different way? And so we're seeing that conversation swirl around us, and it will evolve over the decades to come. All right. I feel like I'm working in emergency dispatch, but clear lines. I'm going to try. I, I got to get to Mark. Uh, we're really short on time, Mark, but I know you're always right to the point. Okay, I'll get right to the point real quick. Uh, thanks for taking my call, first of all, Chief. Um, one word, pistachios. Any follow-up on that uh, robbery? <laughs> Have you cracked the pistachio case yet? $70,000 worth of nuts. So it's hard to not uh, apply a pun every time, you know, uh, you know, so I could talk about resources being spread thin, you know, on some of these nut cases. But the, the honest truth and the serious part of this is this is major theft, major loss, um, organized crime often uh, driving some of these major hauls. And, uh, and yeah, insurance is involved in some of these, uh, these investigations where there is a recovery point. But we're talking about... Um, a trend of, of organized crime networks, you know, uh, not only stealing, um, you know, nuts and food services and so on, but um, it's tied to the auto theft, the, the issues that we're seeing in uh, international uh, and national trends as well. So, so Mark, I don't have an update for the pistachio theft, and there was an almond one, I believe it was, uh, months before. Um, and so it's not only in this community, it's happening all over the places, huge uh, transport trucks uh, you know, being taken, um, you know, overnight, uh, typically. So I don't have an update for you, but it's a, a, a major investigation for us, uh, jokes aside. Uh, I'm going to make one anyway, because you said crime. Chris, just before I let you go, it would be a crime if I don't eat this ice cream, quote unquote, sandwich before the end of the day, right? Yeah, that's right, Mike. I okay. think you should eat that. <laughs> it's still intact. Regional Police Chief Mark Kroll, Sergeant Chris Mace with us in studio for Ask the Chief. Thank you, gentlemen, both for making time in your day to be here today. Thanks, Mike. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. My apologies to our good friends at Rogers TV, Robert and the entire team that produce two hours of television for this program every day. I ran a little bit late in the last segment. Really do appreciate their time, and I'm sorry I threw them a little bit behind with their programming for the remainder of the day. We, of course, continue for another hour still here on City News 570. Daryl asking via our Facebook page for an ice cream, in quotes, update. You'll get that and more as the 12 o'clock talkback begins on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with that broom. Get all that garbage out of sight. Or you don't go out Friday night. Don't go back. Okay, let me start this way. Please yakety yak to me. It's not Devin's problem. And I say that on his behalf without checking with him first if I should or not. But I see that Devin's been tied up on the phone for more than four and a half minutes, which means somebody is some kind of upset. And they're probably upset with me. So just 
don't talk Devin's ear off. The, the guy, he's way too polite to you. I will just hang up on you, especially if, you know, you mentioned the team that shall not be named and stuff like that. But I have years of experience with my hang-up button in here. Poor Devin, now at five minutes and counting, and somebody clearly wants to continue talking his ear off. He needs to answer the other phone calls that are sure to come in during our 12 o'clock talkback. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Be Devin's hero, because when the phone rings, he can tell the person he's now been on the phone with for five minutes and 25 seconds that he's got to get to another call. I'm sorry, sir or madam, but I must answer this next call and put them on the air with Farwell. Please direct all your yakety yaks and your talkbacks to me during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. Happy to hear from you. And since I already just heard from Daryl via our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell show, uh, 19 minutes ago, Daryl posted, we want an ice cream Update, ice cream being in air quotes. So if you don't know the story, let me fill you in. It came to my attention via the interwebs this weekend that there is a certain kind of, quote, ice cream sandwich you can buy. It's the store brand ice cream sandwich at Walmart. And if you were to buy it, it would not melt. Even if left out of the freezer, for 12 or more hours. This person had left it out for almost 13 hours, found it intact the next morning. Surely, says I, this must be some kind of mistake. And also, by the way, what is it that we're eating when we eat this, quote, ice cream sandwich? So I decided to conduct an experiment of my own. And look, if it's something that people know about and have been talking about on the internet and it still gets sold in stores it can't be all that bad for you can it be any worse than certain other things i don't know but i went out after the show yesterday to the walmart here at the boardwalk i went over and bought the store brand ice cream in air quotes sandwiches from the cooler took them home had one after dinner last night for research purposes only of course Quite honestly, it was delicious. Even a little bit of crispiness to the cookie part of the sandwich. And then I brought them to work with me this morning. And when I arrived here at a little after 6 a.m., I took one ice cream sandwich out of the box and I put it on a plate, which still sits in the studio. And, well, Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass, it now looks like it's got a bit of a dad bod. I don't know if you can see it from your distance, but the, the there's a little bit of of oozing coming out the sides. It's not quite like yeah, full. You can see that? It looks like it's kind of puffing it's up a bit. Got some love handles going on, yeah. right? <laughs> and listen, you, you be you, ice cream sandwich, okay? Love handles, dad bod, whatever. But it is starting now after almost six hours, truly. I'm going to have to take a picture of it this way so you can see. I'll post another picture real quick. <laughs> anyway, the bottom line is it's not a puddle of anything. Of ice milk, of ice cream, it's not a puddle of anything. It's still, I want to touch it so bad, but I think that it compromises It compromises the, the experiment, doesn't it? Okay. A little bit. So as far as we can tell you, almost six hours later, the ice cream sandwich is relatively intact. The only question left to answer is this. Will I eat it at the end of the show today? 
I mean, I figure if I'm going to carry the experiment all the way through, but I don't know. One of my colleagues, Luke Schultz, came in here just after 10 this morning, so four hours after the ice cream sandwiches had been left out, and he admitted to having eaten one. Thought the consistency was a little off, but generally, he said it wasn't bad. So, I mean, if he can eat one after four hours, I can eat one after, it'll be seven by the time the show is done. Should I eat it? That's the only question that remains to be answered today, I think. Ranger Joe, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm excellent for now until I eat this ice cream sandwich. Right. Hey, eat the whole box, Mikey. Hey, settle down. <laughs> okay. Hey, make it a challenge. Eat the whole box. All right. All right. I hear you. All right. Yeah. Hey, listen, I have a question for you. Help me understand something. Yesterday I was watching on the news about those five junior players, okay? And then it said that Hockey Canada has suspended the whole team for any kind of activities, um, you know, headed by Hockey Canada. Why would they tarnish the rest of the team for the five that are being charged, that have been charged? Like, why would they do that? Well, I I guess... Joe, in particular, because we are talking about a team here, then you are responsible for your teammates and there are consequences for running afoul of the team's standard of behavior. Oh, Mike, you know what? I agree with you, yet I don't. I I think those five players should be suspended from any Hockey Canada activities. I think the rest of the boys, I mean, if they weren't in that room, Mike, and they were just having their normal fun, during the events, I mean, I don't think they should be uh, suspended, honestly. That's just my own opinion. I don't know what other listeners of yours are thinking on that subject, but uh, no, I don't think they should be, Mikey. All right, Joe. Appreciate you sharing your opinion, and that's what the show is all about. Jim, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. Thanks for making it, sir. I heard you discussing one of my favorite subjects. I just tuned in, ice cream. Oh, it's one of my favorite subjects, too. The question I have, Jim, is the ice cream sandwich I have in front of me, is it really ice cream? I don't know. Depends how cold your window is. <laughs> Fair. I, I would like to mention my favorite corporate citizen in the whole world is Chapman in Markdale. Oh, excellent example. Yes, sir. 100% Canadian dairy used in their offerings, the ones that use milk, like ice cream. I don't think the sherbets. But, and the best part of it is their most economical ice cream in the square package is peanut-free, nut-free. Uh, people can buy it with the assurance that if they're having a birthday party or something of that nature, they don't have to worry about anaphylactic children having peanuts in the ice cream. And their prices are reasonable. Uh, I think there's a two-liter on, and that's a two-liter. Most of the tubs you buy now are one-and-a-half liter. A two-liter is on for three ninety-nine on sale at one of the local stores. But they they just do marvelous work to the extent that the uh, palliative care building in Owen Sound is named Chapman House. They've donated so much to the community, and they're so good to the village of Markdale. It, it's just unbelievable. Thanks, Mike. Jim, thank you. A great call and a great reminder of the fine stuff that the Chapman family does out of Markdale. That 
supports a lot of places in this province. You're listening to the Mike Farwell Show. It's the 12 o'clock talkback hour. This is City News 570. I think I just compromised the experiment. I was holding up the plate that is holding the, in air quotes, ice cream sandwich. So I could show you the sort of love handles that are beginning to stick out from beneath the top layer of cookie. And I thought if I held the plate up, you could also see how the ice cream sandwich, ice cream in air quotes, is sticking to the plate. But it slid it slid, so the top cookie is still on, but the it, it slid a little bit off of the bottom cookie. So some of the, quote, ice cream, I don't know, is no longer adhering to the bottom cookie layer. Anyway, I, I check out the picture for yourself, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. That's where we're at with the experiment, six hours in. I would still not describe this in any way as melted. There is not liquid of any kind on the plate. And I think the only thing to still determine is whether or not I will eat this by the end of the show today. Back to the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Kyle, good afternoon. Listen, my friend, have you had a Twinkie? You know, actually, of all the things I eat, Twinkies aren't one of them because I heard that they last for like a million years. You can put them in bomb shelters. Exactly. Yeah. So you had that ice cream, might be made out of Twinkie. Or have you ever had that ice cream that goes up to space? That's freeze dried and never melts. That's true. I, I, I probably have had a Twinkie too. Like, I don't know why I stay away from Twinkies. You've had McDonald's, I'm sure. <laughs> Who knows what's in that stuff? Easy, and easy. And you're worried about this little ice cream? Mike, just hork that thing down like no tomorrow and just tell us what it tastes like. Don't Seriously? Yeah, I would do it. I would, if I was there, right, I would, it would already been gone. <laughs> You would have actually. That's a good point. I'm showing some ridiculous self control here with sweets in front of me, and I'm not eating them. Exactly, exactly. So there you go, Mike. I'm telling you, man. Just get her done. All right, all right, buddy. Thanks for the (laughs) cheers. Good to easy for you to say that you'd eat it. You're not the one that might suffer the consequences. Kim, good afternoon. Hey, Mike. Does the ice cream have goat's milk in it? You know what? I'm going to go get the box. And find out, but I don't. Because I don't goat, believe it does. Goat's milk takes a longer time to melt. It does. <laughs> you have to find out what the ingredients on in the box. Okay, is. I promise. As soon as I take my next commercial break, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get the box so that we can all know what the ingredients are in this quote-unquote ice cream sandwich. I would eat it. You would would eat it? it. See, I still say, easy for you to say. Well, goat's milk, if it has goat's milk in it, you're safe. What if it doesn't have goat's milk in it? Well, it might have an other kind of milk. (laughs) I don't... Sheep milk or, you know, cow. (laughs) Dare I say, Kim, I don't think it has any milk in it. But we will find out. I promise I will get the ingredients and share them with you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for the call. 
Grant, good afternoon. You must have been reading my mind. I, I was thinking you should do a pro, program maybe every couple weeks on um, testing items in stores or that are advertised on TV that you can only buy it on TV. Because there used to be years ago, way back in the 70s, Horowitz or Horowitz. Oh, I remember David Horowitz, but here's the thing. I, I bought this with my own money, $5.98. If I start ordering all of those things from the infomercials and testing them for you, I'm going to be broke, Grant. Well, tell the, your boss to kind of help you out. Oh, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'm sure he'll just jump right on board with that. Hey, boss, I've got this great idea. It's only going to cost you a few hundred a week. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's different to do. And I don't... Do, do you remember this other radio host that would take his show on the streets. He had a jewelry store. That was... You should kind of do... Oliver? The guy from Toronto that gives you cash for your jewelry? No. Oh. He, he was from Kitchener. He took his show on the street. You mean Johnny Walters? Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't have... Johnny Walters didn't have a... Did he have a jewelry store? Did I miss that part? I don't think I missed that part. Johnny Walters, to my knowledge, did not have a jewelry store, but he was a hell of a broadcaster. So you should do that maybe once a month... Okay. Okay. So once a month, let me get this straight. So Grant, did I ever tell you about my old boss that used to say everybody's a program director? Program directors are the people that are the bosses in radio stations. They decide the programming, the music, the talking, whatever. So Grant now is playing program director. I love this. And his suggestion is that we buy all of the things on TV that promise you, you know, like how about those no stick Frying pans, right? Where the eggs just slide right off. It'll be beautiful. And I'll get one free if I order right now. So we'll buy all the things and test them. And then in the summertime, at least once a month, we're going to take the show out onto the street. And if we're going to make it like Johnny Walters, it's going to be Trivia Company, right? So I'll just ask random trivia questions on the street and we'll have a grand old time. I actually love the ideas, Grant. I really, really do. This has been entertaining to me. I was just really surprised when I heard on the internet or when I saw on the internet, that this thing would not melt. And I figured, I can spend the $5.98 at Walmart and put this to the test. And so far, it remains relatively intact. However, it's only been six hours. This first guy that I saw on the internet that said it had been almost 13 hours, I'm calling shenanigans on him, because this thing is getting a little bit soft. I will say that for sure. Maybe I'll just leave it till tomorrow morning. I don't know. This is the Mike Farwell Show, your 12 o'clock talkback hour on City News 570. And let's get right back to your talkback on the line with Steve. Afternoon, Steve. Good afternoon, Mike. Uh, First time caller. What did you say? You said that you are a first time caller? Yeah, I kind of. Yes! 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 I had to play that. Sorry. Thank you for being a first time caller. No problem. Uh, Mike, I want to have your back on this one. Um, I'm thinking things that are supposed to be in the freezer sitting outside of it for 6 to 12 hours. You may want to plan a sick day for tomorrow if you eat it after uh, the show today. (laughs) Steve, are you offering as a first-time caller to come in and host the show tomorrow lest I be unable? Uh, I think I might have tomorrow off, so that might work. Okay, we could work on this. And maybe so you are you are advising against consuming whatever this is that's supposed to be ice cream. 
I'm not, I'm not thinking it's a good idea to eat it. All right. I appreciate you, my friend. Okay. Do me a favor, please, Steve. Be a second-time caller sometime, okay? I'll, I'll work at that. Attaboy. Thanks for this. Thank you. Take care. First-time callers, we love them. Yeah! Yes! Yes! And we continue with your 12 o'clock talkback hour on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. For those interested, and Kim called earlier to suggest that perhaps this ice cream sandwich was not melting, sorry, ice cream, in quotes, was not melting because it was made with goat's milk. The ingredients on this great value vanilla ice cream sandwich, that's what it's called. It's not called a frozen dessert. It's called an ice cream sandwich. Great value being the store brand in Walmart where I bought this yesterday for $5.00. And 98 cents. The ingredients read ice cream, colon, sugars, sugar and glucose, cream, modified milk ingredients, mono and diglycerides, carob bean gum, cellulose gum, guar gum, carrageenan, I don't know what that is, artificial flavor, and then the wafers, enriched wheat flour, sugars, Sugar, glucose, fructose, syrup, dextrose, caramel color, palm oil, corn flour, cocoa, modified cornstarch, baking soda, salt, mono and diglycerides, soy, lecithin or lecithin. Contains milk, soy, wheat, may contain eggs. All I knows is there is not any goat milk in there and that's an awful lot of ingredients for a quote unquote ice cream sandwich it's an awful lot of ingredients back to the phones barbara good afternoon good afternoon mike it's your favorite civil engineer calling hello friend how are you i'm awesome i'm on my way to ottawa to talk sewers with the federal government oh good Um, i've got a few ideas what the federal government can do in the sewer can i uh, send some suggestions (laughs) Absolutely. I accept from everybody. Um, I just have a brief public service announcement for your listeners. Um, You know, there's a lot of of our built environments that civil engineers design and build that the public don't realize what they're for. And this is particularly regarding pedestrian safety at intersections. So um, if you're standing at an intersection waiting to cross, if the curb in front of you is a, a curb cut, which is what, pardon me, they're called truck aprons, actually. It's when there's like a little ramp going down to the road, so you don't have to step down from a curb. So they're they're better for people in wheelchairs. Well, they're essential for people in wheelchairs, but they have them at specific intersections. And I wanted to mention to people that the actual technical name for these is truck apron. The purpose of that little rampy thing there is so that trucks turning a tight corner there's there's uh, one at glasgow and belmont near where i live um that they actually will drive on that apron to help them get around the corner so if you're standing at an intersection that has one of those aprons and it often has those that yellow metal thing with bumps on it please stand well back from the truck apron because trucks going around the corner may need to use that apron so for your own safety stay well back of any time you see an apron at an intersection and, uh, yeah, you could avoid getting uh, struck by a vehicle. 
Barbara, that is an excellent public service announcement, and I wish you a very safe trip and successful trip to Ottawa. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate that. You know, it takes me back to something I actually heard as one of our little uh, promos on the station. This is what happens when you give Mike a mic. And I was talking about the sheer number of people that now live in our community, which I think is a fantastic thing. We are a vibrant place. We are a busy and bustling place. Don't get me wrong. I like to find my quiet places in and around here, too, <coughs> here on Natural Area. But honestly... It, it's a great place to be. There's a lot of activity, a lot of vibrancy. And when we are oot in a boot, when we're making our way around this beautiful community, be it within the city or within the more rural areas, we're sharing those areas with so many more people and so many more vehicles, whether they're four-wheeled and motorized or two-wheels and electric or whatever they happen to be. Whether you're just walking, you got two feet in a heartbeat, you're sharing your area with roughly 635,000 other people. Be aware of your surroundings at all times, whether you're at the wheel of a vehicle, on your feet, at the handlebars, just be aware. You're not out there by yourself. And a little awareness is going to go a long way. So to Barbara's point, just because you're standing there, watch out for the truck apron at the corners. Mary... It's the 12 o'clock talk back. Oh, good morning. Listen, Mike, when yes. you listed all, all that stuff, on uh, what's in that uh, ice cream bar, don't eat it. Don't eat it? No. It's all, everything in there is bad for you. Well, I ate everything. one last night when it was still frozen. Now, what do I do about yeah. that? Okay. Well, okay, but don't eat that one that you've left outside. How long do you leave a, a, a dozen of eggs sitting, sitting outside? How long? That's a good question. I wouldn't How know. How about milk? Uh, oh, milk, yeah. You don't want the milk yeah, to go yeah, warm, yeah. right? Yeah, let it sit in the sun. Let those two sit in the sun, and then you eat them. Oh, you want me to eat it now or not eat it? I say, I said for the little, what I'm bringing up is you let eggs sit in the sun or whatever, it's four or six hours, then you're going to go and make yourself an egg salad sandwich. Oh, right? okay. How I get the milk? <laughs> Mike, 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 I'm, 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 I'm looking after your health. I appreciate it, Mary, because you want me to keep doing this show, don't you? I do. Okay. I do, for as long as I live. All right, that's a so deal. You better keep up with your good, good, good stuff. And your push-ups. It's and all a, that. I'm doing my push-ups today. <laughs> I am, and okay, I will take under advisement to not eat this slippery, slimy thing on the plate at the well, end of the show. Somebody might. I don't know, but I think that guy had a good idea when he says uh, he's off tomorrow and he, he, might, he could do the show. It'll be the Steve Farwell show, or just the Steve show, we'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. Wish you well. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> I wish you well as well. <laughs> Enjoy your afternoon. The comment about the eggs reminds me of the time during Farwell for Hire that I took care of somebody's chicken coop. Because, you know, in Kitchener, you can have all manner of fowl in your backyard, including chickens, up to four, don't you know? And so I was responsible for cleaning it out every day. It was just over the course of a long weekend, the long weekend in May. And I remember how warm the eggs were. And they told me, if you get eggs, you can, you can keep them. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I, I know, I'm just good. Whatever. I ain't no farmer. I'm just a talk show host. Uh, this is the Mike Farwell Show, the 12 o'clock talk back hour on City News 570.
A lot of conversation over on our Facebook page. Follow along anytime. Great fun and frivolity. Facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. But the conversation is built around these quote-unquote ice cream sandwiches not really being ice cream. Au contraire, mon ami. There is no description on the box whatsoever that describes these as frozen desserts. The box literally says ice cream sandwiches. And it even has the Dairy Farmers of Canada symbol on the front. Quality milk. So there you go. They are. It also recommends keeping frozen, by the way, which I have not done because I learned from the internet this weekend that if you leave a great value Walmart store brand ice cream sandwich out of the freezer, it will not melt. It might not melt in the traditional sense, i.e. turn into a big creamy milky puddle, but this is definitely starting to melt. And the internet said it was 12 hours they had left the bar or the ice cream sandwich alone. Uh, We've now been about six and a half hours into our experiment. And it's definitely showing its age, but I guess it's intact enough. It's, um, It's a little spongy, but it's still there. Back to the phones. Mark, good afternoon. Mike, you're running out of ideas, buddy. How so? I, an ice cream sandwich on the counter for 12 hours? That's ridiculous. Well, I didn't. it's not my idea. I saw it on the internet. I wanted to see if it was true. If you want a good ice cream sandwich, Mike, go to Dairy Queen. <laughs> I know that. Okay? I, I didn't say I wanted a good one. I just wanted to know if it was true that this thing wouldn't melt. Okay. And I got a suggestion, Mike. Yes, sir. Don't eat it. <laughs> and also, yes. take it home to Rosie. Well, wait, wait. You want me to give it to... I wouldn't feed this to my dog. I would eat it before I gave it to my dog. I love her too much. She would eat it. Yeah, she probably would. Okay, Mike. All right, Mark. Thanks for the call. We took a walk yesterday in the neighborhood where some kind soul has a container of dog treats out on the porch that you're allowed to take advantage of. And every time we go by that place, Rosie knows where we are. And she's like, we're going over there? Are we going over there? We only take one. But yes, we go over there so she can have the dog treat as part of her walk. Joe, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Over to you. Hi, Mike. Hi, Joe. Can you hear me okay? I'm in a different vehicle right now, so it's a bit you know, sketchy. So far, so good. All right. Uh, yeah, I can't understand why everybody's railing on da- uh, Danielle Smith. Well, I can understand why Trudeau's railing on her, because everybody in Alberta hates Trudeau, so by extension, he hates the back, but... But what what about everybody else? Like, what is it so unreasonable that she wants uh, parents to have a say in a in a decision in a child's life that is life altering and rather significant? Uh, it's, it's, well, it goes, it, but it goes further than that, Joe. Right? And I think you know this because you, you're the kind of guy that scratches a little bit further beneath the surface, and and you know that there are so precious few instances whereby a young person, i.e. a minor, is even granted the opportunity for such surgery. So to raise the issue is simply stomping on people who don't have as loud a voice as you. That's the issue here. Wouldn't you want a say in, in, in something like that or know about it from the school? If you're a parent. Of course Aren't I would. But but, but, but but Joe, this is my point. Like parents, by and large, like 98.8% know anyway. And 
and only 0.02% of young people end up getting the surgery. Like it's not like you're making an issue out of a non-issue. That's my point here. And that's why well, everybody's upset. With it. Sorry. Yes, exactly. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Well, right. or, or is it the media that's just blowing it up out of proportion? No, she, she made the video herself, Joe. The premier of Alberta made it, made her own video and posted it online. She's the one that made the mountain of the issue out of the molehill. Okay, well, still, I you know, I my personal take on it is you absolutely to be involved in something like that. Uh, and, that and I'll just leave it at that because, you know, sounds like it's not really worth diving any deeper into, you know what I mean? And that's exactly my point, right? Everything's going along just fine. You don't need to bring a sledgehammer into the conversation. And that's what the Premier of Alberta did. And because she did that and made it a very political issue, well, you can get some pushback on that, aren't you? Greg, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Hello, Greg. All this ice cream talk there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You, you, you should know me well enough to know that there's not much that I don't eat. If you're not going to eat it, want to save it for a few hours, you want to find me later, I'll do that for you. What, you going to get some good ice cream? If, if you're going to opt to not eat it, I'll, I'll give it a shot if, if, uh, if everyone's got you scared of it. Wait, but what do you mean by later? It's already been almost seven hours. When are you, you going to get here? What's that? It's already been almost seven hours. When are you going to get here to eat it? Uh, well, we've got about a couple hours left of my work day, so I can find you later. Hey, <laughs> Back in back in university, I don't know if you heard the story, but I ate pizza that fell face down on the floor of a hockey dressing room. That is I'm disgusting. Talk, I'm still here to talk about it. So, did you just admit that? Did you just admit a pizza fell face down on the floor of the dressing room in the hockey arena and you ate it? University of Waterloo, Columbia Icefield. Oh Actually, my! Half the pizza because everybody grabbed from the one side and the thing went. I wouldn't. I wouldn't I eat a piece of pizza that didn't even land on the floor at the Columbia Ice Fields. Are you kidding me? In that, actually, it was probably frozen anyway. It was fine. But I, uh, and I remember Pastas Pizzas, who delivered it at the time. They sponsored our team, and I just love pizza so much. Thought, eh, ten second or two second or whatever. Hey, I'm here to talk about it. X number of years later, so this mushy ice cream sort of thing or whatever it is. Uh, I'd go for it if you're not. But it was on the floor of the... Dre- Do you know what else is on the floor of that dressing room, Craig? Yeah, I just didn't think that hard. So okay. I, well, there I am at whatever age whether that is, uh, you know, late teens or... <laughs> uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. So, you know, free pizza, it's like I, I, I can't... Nobody else would take any home, so I had a whole half a large the next day for myself. Good man, I think. All right, so All right. ice cream, minimal compared to that. So <laughs> let's, let's do it. All right, Greg. Thanks for the call. That is probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard in my life. And by the way, Columbia Icefields, you know I love you. I tease you because I love you. We all know what that barn's all about and always has been. It's a great old barn in town, isn't it? This is the Mike Farwell Show, your 12 o'clock talk back on City News 570. Just a couple minutes away from one o'clock and your update from the City News Center, which, of course, will be followed by Now You Know with our good friend and colleague, Rob Snow. I'm getting mixed reaction to the idea of consuming 
what is left of this, in quotes, ice cream sandwich. Even my good buddy producer, Paulie, is saying, don't do it, Farwell. I don't know. I mean, I would consider what I have in front of me now melted. It's been almost seven hours, but not melted the way you would expect it to be melted. It's not a puddle of milk or cream. It's still relatively intact, albeit soft, mushy. Smells kind of good. There's sugar in it. I, I might just, and besides, uh, who, who doesn't want a random Wednesday off, right? If I have to call in tomorrow and say, listen, I ate a bad ice cream sandwich. Where'd you get it? Well, it was sitting on my desk for seven hours and then I ate it. They might make me come to work just to pay the price for that. Uh, as I look ahead at our show tomorrow, why Waterloo Region cannot succeed without a financially healthy University of Waterloo. We have how many children waiting for childcare in this region? And an update on that little pantry in Cambridge. Remember the one? We'll fill you in on all of that through our show tomorrow. So I hope you'll join us starting at 9. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. Do I do it, Dev? Do I do I take this thing down as we close the show today? You know what? Do it. Do it. Do it. Dev says do it. <laughs> I just might do it. You can follow along on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. Will I be here tomorrow or not? I guess that depends on how this thing goes down. My name is Mike Farwell. Uh, Bye for now.